Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, are you significant? Do you matter? There's a whole wide world that is telling you you don't. Now, I know that the whole wide world is saying, no, everybody matters. But the problem is, is when humanity, or maybe I would be better off to say when humanist people say everybody matters, what they really mean is no one matters. I don't know if you guys are are young enough or old enough, whichever it is. I'm not too sure which category I fall into anymore, young enough or old enough. But uh, do any kids watch Star Trek anymore? Yes, okay, I see some do. Um, They are obviously the children of geeks. Um, That was Tyler Sutherland's boy who raised his hand, just just to be clear. (laughs) Um, But Star Trek had had this idea in their characters of something called the Borg. Who knows the who knows what the Borg is? Right, remember, wasn't the Borg a frightening thing? I mean, I wasn't really a Trekkie, but the fact that there was an alien race going around Star Trek world, and just to really tick you off, I'm going to start mixing up Star Wars and Star Trek analogies because that'll really freak some of you out. Um, and so, Luke Skywalker and Captain Picard. Okay, some of you are you're tracking. No, the, the Borg is this, is this, like, this collective of efficiency, this collective of, uh, well, it's a, it's a hive is what it is. And, and everybody matters in the hive, but no one is unique. No one is special. There is no personality. There is no emotion. There is, there is nothing. And w- without, without trying to be critical of whatever your present, world or social political views might be, I'm really afraid that's where we're heading. We're, we're heading into being this, this group of people where everybody is so special, especially if you're in the minority, that no one will be special anymore. And we, we encounter this problem simply for this reason, that we are trying to define who we are. When the thing that is made tries to tell the maker how it's going to be, it's not ever going to go well. Um, now, I have had a few things that I have made in my, in my life that uh, they did not work the way I intended, and I almost feel like they tried to argue with me about their intended purpose. It just, it just doesn't work. Uh, for instance, I, was, I fix a lot of fence these days, a lot of fence fixing, and old school, like barbed wire, electric wire, and all these things. And what I find is some of the ideas that I have, some of the things that I said, they don't always follow in the intended plan I had for them. But it doesn't actually change the purpose or the reason or the provision. It doesn't change anything about how I see the creation I made. And if it matters to me uh, in this regard, which is only for keeping a few cows inside my property, How much more would it matter to God for what he created to move in the purpose and the direction that he intended? Because we are about more than keeping cattle in an enclosure. We are about something that is fierce and wild and wonderful. And so the question I began with today is, are you significant? And the second question was, do you matter? I know that you're going to give me the Pat Church person answer this morning. And you're going to say, well, yeah, 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 I am significant. And I know that I'm supposed to know that I matter. 
But if we analyze your social feed, what would we find? Here's what I find. I find a lot of people who don't know who they are. They don't know what they're doing here. They don't know why they're here anymore. They're not too sure what to do about the next thing that's going to come, even though it hasn't come yet. And they're forgetting entirely about who God said they were, what God says his plans for them are, and the purpose and the life, the vision, the longevity that is tied up in the living God dictating your steps. Now, the word significant means simply this, sufficiently great or important to be worthy of attention. Who am I that God should know my name? And that's a really human question to ask because it's an important human question to ask. But what's amazing about the question is not the question, it's the answer. Who am I that God should know my name? What does it matter when he knows my name? And if it doesn't matter to you that he knows your name, I think you've missed something in the baby steps of following Jesus. You are significant. I want to talk to you about, uh, what is it? I think I have about nine verses this morning that we're going to talk through. We're going to start in John chapter 15, verse 5. And here Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says to his disciples, to those who are walking with him around him. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. Now, if we're going to be honest about this, which part of that verse do you focus on? If we were to take the cross section here and, and get Angus Reed to come in and pull us, I'm really curious what we would find. But I think what we find is that people in reading this verse specifically is they hang on for apart from me, you can do nothing. And we hang on that, and it's, it's true. It's okay to understand that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. I, I believe that. That's a mantra of my life. I, I know that to the core of my being, because I've tried doing things without him, and it never works. Maybe I should try fencing my cows in with Jesus. It might work better for me. I don't know. But the irony is not lost on me here, that we are significant because we exist for the great work of bearing fruit. We are, we are attached to the vine as the branches. And because we are attached to the vine, we have the ability to grow, to produce fruit. But we are also insignificant in and of ourselves because once you remove a branch from the vine, it's not worth anything but to be burned. Because it's dead. And I'm aware that there is irony in this, but it's more to the point that we cannot understand, we can't live as who God has called us to be unless we are plugged into Him. Unless we are connected to the true vine, there will not be a significant force of life. There will not be a significant force of vision that dictates to you where your feet should fall. There will not be a significant direction for ministry or calling or purpose if you're disconnected from the vine. What you will become is a member of the Borg who is bored and looking for something to do and doing many, many things because nothing ever fulfills life. 
You see, the amazing thing about this verse that I think we don't spend enough time thinking about is not that we can't do anything apart from Jesus. It's in fact that not that we are to bear fruit because we can become self-worshipping. Oh, look at all the fruit I made. Look at what I have done. So we avoid that one as well. But the reality is, is he is the vine and we are the branches. And as we abide in him, he abides in us. And the picture of the tree is this. Is if you have a tree growing up from the ground, the roots are working, pulling in the, uh, the nutrients, the nitrogen, the elements from the soil. And they are sending it up the, 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 uh, the trunk of the tree. And that then goes out to the branches. And here's the reality, guys. You and I, as the branches attached to the true vine, are not simply for bearing fruit. We are not simply living for the reality that apart from him we can do nothing. We have the privilege and the awesome, wonderful part in this whole thing that the essence, that the life of God literally flows through us. The life of Jesus literally is trying to course through your spiritual being and therefore your emotional and physical body as well. The most amazing part about being connected to the vine is that everything the root supplies can flow through me and into the fruit that he wants me to produce. But we spend more time worrying about being cut off. We spend more time worrying about the fruit. Do you know that the branch has no will of its own with the fruit it produces? All it's trying to do is hold the fruit up and make sure that the essence, the life from the tree, gets to the fruit. An apple tree with no branches is a sorry thing. We are... The branches connected to the true vine. And having him abide in us as we abide in him, we become the conduit of God's life for this world. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go out and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask the Father in heaven in my name... He may give to you. What do we focus on in this verse all the time? Well, we focus on, well, whatever I ask for, I'm supposed to get. Right? Let's be honest. That's the one that jumps out. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you? Well, yeah, he will. Especially when you're aligned with his will. (laughs) Especially when you're aligned with his purpose, which you cannot be if you're apart from him. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Apart from from him, you're not connected. You don't have the life of God flowing through you. Therefore, how does God even hear our prayer? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't hear the prayers of people that don't know him, don't love him, don't follow him. I think God, God, the scriptures teach us that God hears our prayer. But it also teaches that the heavens are closed to the prayers of the wicked. There is something amazing about being tapped in to Jesus. But here's what I want you to focus on today. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you. Everyone say appointed. Appointed is a powerful word. 
If you didn't read our leadership blog that came out a week or two ago, you should go back, find it, and read it. Because the appointment of your life is a bigger deal than the calling on your life. What God appoints, He gives authority to. What God appoints, He covers. What God appoints, He blesses. God calls everybody. But who He appoints is who is choosing to respond to Him, who is choosing to remain in Him. That's a significant thing, is it not, to be chosen by God? I mean, okay, we're getting close to Christmas. Who knows that Mary was chosen by God? Is that significant? And here's the funny thing is that everybody compares themselves to Mary. Well, God hasn't asked me to do anything like that. Well, let me just give it to you real simple. The way I tried to explain this to my kids. God doesn't need Jesus to be born in the flesh seven billion more times. So he, he picked Mary for that. And that's all. That, that, that's, that was, that's her job. That was what she did. That was her appointment by God. And you're a fool, and I love you when I say that, but you're a fool if you think that by comparing yourself to anyone else, you're going to understand God's appointment for your life. You're never going to get it because you're not understanding who you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous is everything that God does, and our soul should know it very well. That's what Scripture says. But if you don't know it, and if you don't live, and if you can't be it, you're going to wander forever, wondering, am I called? Yes, you're called. That was easy. But what about what God is appointing you to? What about that thing he's appointing to you today? What about the thing he's appointing to you to do this week? Well, how am I going to know, Pastor, what God wants me to do? You're going to listen to him. You're going to shut off your flipping Facebook account. Jesus loves you and I love you. You're going to shut off Twitter. You're going to shut off the U.S. election. You're going to shut off the CBC. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And you're going to listen. Many people want to hear from God, but few people shut up long enough to hear his voice. Well, yeah, but I want God to speak to me in an earthquake, in a thunderstorm, in a tornado. That's not where God's going to speak to you. He's your father. He loves you. He's going to come quietly to you. Few people are willing to listen because you're impatient. And you want God to do the microwave popcorn thing in your life. And God does not do microwave popcorn. When God makes popcorn, oh, let me tell you what. He gets out the pan. And he puts half a pound of butter in the pan and sets it aside on low. To gently, soothingly warm the butter. And God gets the salt. And I think God even, he just grinds the salt. And he puts the oil in a pot on an open fire that he built. And while he sits and lets you be in his presence, he slowly moves the pot back and forth over the flame because it gives you time to talk to him. And when you have time to talk to him, something amazing happens. You get to know him. And as you get to know him, you begin to understand him. And then the popcorn starts popping. And then God wants to have Popcorn with you. Where are you? God wants to pop. God wants to pop the popcorn slow. 
with you. He wants to pour the butter on it generously. I know my father is saying amen right now. Because he's a man who loves butter on the popcorn. He said amen. There he is. And a good amount of salt. God's not in a hurry, guys. You notice God's not in a hurry with the whole COVID thing? If I can just say. God's not in a hurry with the COVID thing. I wonder why. Is everybody has to slow down and make time for things they should have been making time for all along. As everyone has to slow down. As the fear of the Lord begins to grip the hearts of people and they begin to turn to Him. God's just making popcorn, guys. He's expecting fellowship. He's expecting time together. He's expecting togetherness. And he's expecting conversation. All because you've been chosen by him. And he's given you an appointment. He's given you an opportunity to do that which is good and pleasing and aligns with his perfect will. You just have to be patient enough to hear from him. It's a significant thing to be chosen by God. And you are chosen. 1 Corinthians 3.16, one of my favorites. And I do, I say it all the time. You are a temple of God. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now that is significant. That you are a temple. That I am a temple. What does that mean to be a temple for God? Well, the, the, uh, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament is simply a house. And I was drawn to that because I have a favorite verse in the Bible, Isaiah 66, 1, um, that says this, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. But where is the house? Where is the place that I may rest? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. Yet it goes on to say, yet to this one I will look, one who is humble, who is contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. What does it mean to be a temple of the Holy Spirit? It means to be a resting place for God. It means to be a resting place for Him, for His presence. You know, the amazing thing about choosing to become a resting place for God, and by that I mean simply yielding your life to Him and stop trying to do all this on your own. But the amazing thing that happened is God comes and He unpacks all of His virtue in your life. God does not treat human beings, his dwelling place, like a hotel room. God does not come with a three-day suitcase and a satchel with a laptop in it. God does not come with a CPAP machine. I'm just drawing you a picture of myself going to a conference. God does not come with three changes of clothes, four socks, four sets of underwear, just in case you get laid over somewhere. God doesn't come and unpack like you're a hotel room. God wants to come and inhabit your life. He wants to unpack all of his virtue. He wants to move in. He doesn't want to live in a closet. He doesn't want to live in one room of your house. He wants to come and be in your house. Are you worthy of that? Not a chance. But then Jesus says you are. So you are. What does it mean to be a temple for God? 
a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, what it should mean to you and I is that we are valuable not because we're simply created by God, but because he chooses, he chooses to live in us. A dwelling place, a resting place for him. How, just how differently, tell me, somebody tell me, if every morning this week you wrote this down on your mirror so it was the first thing you saw, for some of you guys, oh, never mind. If it was the first thing you saw, would it, would it change your life? Would it change how you went through your day? And I'm honestly asking, because I don't know if it would. I'd like to give you some simple little tool to remind yourself every single day that you are a dwelling place for God. That he wants to come and unpack his whole being into little old you and do great things in your life. Do great things through you and with you. I wish you could understand how necessary you are. How necessary you are to a God who needs nothing from you. I think sometimes, I'm just going to take this little sidestep. We as human beings have a problem. We determine our value based on our usefulness. Here is the great reality of God in our life. We are not valuable based on our usefulness to him because we really are quite useless to him in that he doesn't need you. He, he, did, he doesn't need you to exist. He, he doesn't need you to get to tomorrow. He, he, he doesn't need you. Yet he chooses to say something like, I want to come and I want you to be the place where I come to rest. This is where Jesus would say something brilliant like, he who has an ear, let him hear. If you're willing to understand, by all means, just swallow that. Understand that. Second Corinthians 17, 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, this one is loaded with significance and purpose. Let's recap. You have been given... A ministry of reconciliation. Is that significant? Yeah, that's significant. Especially to the people who need reconciling. Right? Anybody ever done any work in mediation? If you're married, you should be putting up your hand, because you have. If you're, well, sorry, if you're, still, if you're still married, um, and maybe you're still learning, it's all good. Okay? Be careful. 
But God, we, we are ministers of mediation, ministers of reconciliation all the time. We just forget that this is a God-inspired reality in our life. It's a God gifting in us to do. It's something he has appointed to us and for us. Given us the ministry of reconciliation. And therefore, we are ambassadors. I'm going to say ambassador. You're an ambassador. Is an ambassador an important person? Yeah. An ambassador is an important person. And I know that this is simple for you. But maybe it's too simple for you because we just don't seem to live in this gear very well. You see, your coworker needs you to be an ambassador of Jesus for him. When your wife does the thing that annoys you again and again and again, and you don't want to forgive her, you have been given a ministry of reconciliation. When your children are fighting, you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. When the left is dehumanizing the right and the right is dehumanizing the left church, you have been given a ministry of reconciliation, so stop posting divisive things online. Stop it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you stand before Jesus one day and they bring up your social media posts? I mean, we got to live in the fear of the Lord. And honestly, I, I would like it if we were living in the fear of the Lord in something that really seemed like it mattered a whole lot more. You know, the Bible says God hates one who sows discord among brothers. We are forsaking our God-given identity when we fail to minister as reconcilers. I'm going to leave that right there with you because I know there's more to a discussion like that. And we'll take those steps when and if they come. But as of right now, church, you are able ministers of reconciliation. Know it, live it, be it. Ephesians 2, 4-6, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Your seat, your placement is one of significance. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm, I'm seated there and so are you. If you really could imagine yourself sitting in the chair with Jesus, looking down on everything that's going on around us right now. Just, just imagine what your perspective would be and how different it would be than it was this morning when you got up. When you choose to have the heart, the mind, the eyes of Christ in your life, and you look down on this world from the place the Bible says you are seated with Him in, how does your perspective 
change? How does your biblical worldview change? How does how you see people you don't really like begin to change? Guys, we don't have a seat with Christ in heavenly places so that we can live with our feet and our reality in the ground all the time. He's given us a seat in the heavenly places with Him so that we can maintain a perspective that is closer to godliness than it is to human brokenness. He is our perspective. And everything that I contextualize in this life should be done through the lens of who Jesus says I am. Everything that I consider, should I do this or should I not do this, should come through the lens. It should be considered through the lens of who God says He wants me to be. Your seat and your placement are significant. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I don't know if I need to say anything more about that. Here's workmanship created for good works. So that you can walk in them. Because it's significant that you do the works he intended for you. If you don't do what God designed you to do, who's going to do it? The truth is someone else will. Eventually. Someone else will. But why does it have to come to that? You can do it. You can do it. Find out who you are in Christ. Ephesians 3.10 So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. You ever imagine what it's like to be the guy who sits in the room somewhere in the military fortress who would have the responsibility of pushing the red button that, I don't know, would launch the nukes or launch the counterattack to the nukes, whatever part of the story you want to plug yourself into? That's an incredible level of clearance to get to that place. I know some people with military clearances. It's pretty, it's actually pretty impressive. Some of the things they get to know and can't tell people about, which I don't get told about, I just know that it's a weight, and it's actually kind of an awesome burden and an awesome privilege that they get to know some of the things they know. And the reality is, is that you and I have that same access, that same responsibility, that same privilege with our Heavenly Father. We, we don't need a phone line to get to him because we're his dwelling place we're his resting place and my question for you is is this is are you going to make a choice today to have the audacity to approach God the way you actually can some of you are gifted with audacity Ben Hines Clearly gifted with audacity. Yeah, and every, the whole church is going to be like, yeah, that's true, amen. That's, it's true. And sometimes Ben, my good friend who I love so much, sometimes he takes you off guard because he's really forward. He's really forthright. 
Ben, this is not permission to blow everybody up after church. But you know one of my favorite things about Ben Hines? That he has the audacity to ask. And I wish that the children of God approached their Heavenly Father with that kind of audacity. Uh, God's, God's God, and we need to be, yes, you need to be reverent of him, of course. But that doesn't mean you don't get to run to the throne room. It doesn't mean you don't get to, for, for, for a, a word picture, to jump up onto his lap, crying, Abba, Father. You're allowed to approach the throne of grace with great confidence when you have a need. In him we have boldness and confident access. And I fear that many of us, if we're praying, are praying weak, sad little prayers. Oh Lord, if you would just hear me just this once. See, God doesn't need you to load up your side of the conversation. He needs you to have, he wants you to have the audacity to ask for the big thing. Dear God, let me win the lottery. No, no, not, not, we're not talking about winning lotteries. The audacity to ask things like this. God, you give me an opportunity to bring my boss closer to you, and I will take it. See, that's the kind of audacious things we should be asking of God. God, you bump me into someone at the superstore tomorrow who's got cancer and tell me to pray for them, and I'll do it. We see few miracles because we lack the audacity to ask for great things. Finally, Philippians 4.13, a verse that every single person in this church should know. It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, who strengthens me. And I just want to close with this. The worship team, you can come back. We're going to sing. I am who you say I am. But too often, here's what happens. Too often our security lays in our planning and success of those plans. And I say this because I know it's true of you and I know it's true of me. Our security lays in the plan we have for this week and that we accomplished those plans and things came up but we overcame and we still got it done. And that's where our security lies, is in our ability to overcome according to our plans. And you know what? The context of this verse, I just want to open this up as we close this today. The context of this verse is amazing. Philippians 4.13 is a great verse. But the verses ahead of it and behind it are awesome as well. Because that gives us the context of the Apostle Paul. And before 4.13, he says this. Look, I've had lots and I've had nothing. I've had something to eat, I've had nothing to eat. And the Apostle Paul could go on to say a lot more things. I've been a free man. I've been in chains. I've been persecuted as a Jew. And I've been privileged as a Roman. I've been a killer of Christians. Now I'm a Christian myself. That's, that's the reality of Paul's experience. 
I've had everything and I've had nothing. And in everything, I've learned to be content. And here's the why. Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We often take this Bible verse and we're like, I'm going to do my 15 sit-ups this morning because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm going to make it through this rough spot in my marriage because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That might be true, but I want, what I want you, what I need you to understand this morning is contextually this verse is talking about us today. You don't know what this week is going to bring. Next Friday, they could make an announcement and say something crazy like, guys, if you leave your houses, we're going to arrest you and throw you in one of them there detention centers that were quietly standing up all over the country. I don't even know how true that stuff is. But we wonder. Don't you realize that if you get thrown into jail, or if your pastor, God bless him, make sure you pray for him, gets thrown into jail for holding a church service that we didn't really intend to break any rules for, let me just say. How, how much will that verse apply in that moment? Well, it applies for everything in that moment because that's what the verse is for. The verse is not so that you can eat your mashed potatoes. We taught our kids all that, which was fine because they needed to eat their mashed potatoes. But now we're into real things, real world problems. It's not so you can shoot a bigger deer or buy a nicer truck or renovate your house. It's so that whether you feel like there's enough provision or whether there's not enough provision, you know that through Christ you'll be able to do whatever it is God's put in front of you. That's what the verse is for. It's so that it doesn't matter what the government says or doesn't say or what rules they pass, laws they pass, what suggestions they make or what mandates they present. You can be secure in that whatever you face, God will have purpose, identity, calling for you, and you can do it because... All things are possible through Christ who gives you strength. I'm not trying to mock you. If you're struggling this morning, if you're struggling with significance, today is a day that you should come, mask up, get prayer. Because no one in this room should feel insignificant when they leave this place. And what you need if you feel insignificant is a miracle. Well, I don't want to make that big of a deal out of it, Pastor Trap. No, I'm telling you, if you feel insignificant, what you need is a miracle. Because you are believing a lie that you are not. And that lie needs to be broken. Here is how you break the power of a lie in your life. You confess the lie. Not that you told it. You confess what you have believed. I have believed that I am not significant. And here's the power of the body of, the, of Christ working together. Your brother or sister in Christ who's going to be here to pray for you this morning is going to say, guess what? That is a lie. It's not true. Because you confessed the lie and they spoke truth against the lie, the power of a lie will be broken in your life. And that's how it works. The power of lies is broken when it's confronted with the truth. And some of our problem is, is that we never put the lie out there in a way that lets the truth break it. So you need to, and I'm telling you this from so much personal experience. You need to speak out what's untrue to a trusted person. And you need to let them speak truth into your life. You need to let them pray for you. And you will experience a miracle in the area of your significance this morning. If you want to receive 
prayer. If you want to receive ministry this morning, you come forward and get it. Online church, we're so glad you're with us. You need to reach out to us by email uh, and, and comment, and we would love to connect you to a real-life person who wants to pray with you as well. We're going to take one 30-second spot of time right now and ask the question we always ask every Sunday morning, which is, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? I'm already telling you something the Holy Spirit wants you to do today. That is to become significant in the kingdom of God by breaking the lie that says you're not. Because who you are is who he says you are. Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, we surrender our hearts to you, we surrender ourselves to you, and ask God, would you, would you, Lord, put your finger on the thing that you want me to catch today? Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.